Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, App, Spotify, and on YouTube. We are here to talk about the Knicks and the Giants, and maybe even just a sprinkle of the Jets as well, since they played most recently. Obviously, a very exciting win for the Jets against the Bills, but we do want to talk Giants. We definitely want to talk Knicks, and that's why this man is here to do just that. Alec Argento, we are three and a half weeks in to the NBA season and you and I have not spoken about the Knicks on the podcast yet on the podcast on the podcast yeah <laughs> that's not right though that's messed up how are you by the way I'm okay it's it's uh you, I, you haven't seen me I I would feel like I would be a dereliction of duty if I didn't bring up the Yankees just because I haven't been on the podcast since like the yeah. DS yeah uh, uh, just just fire everyone let everyone go let judge go let everyone go start from scratch tear it up i'm miserable i deserve to you know get my grave danced on so just gotta throw that out there but giants are still six and two in a rebuild season whatever happens from here it's gravy knicks are five and five which is uh fine (laughs) and we'll talk about that but uh i'm okay and then we'll get black panther on thursday so that's gonna be dope fantastic and if you're watching on youtube you uh maybe noticed the the set the set already behind me has changed to get involved with that experience that we're all going to have. I'm going to have it later than you. I won't see you black Panther till the following Wednesday. Uh, Meryl Streep was the bad guy the whole time. <laughs> Dude, come on. She people, wasn't looking out from Anne Hathaway's best interest, man. People haven't watched the trailer yet. Are you, it's more, are you, Meryl Streep. Unbelievable. Uh, but anyway, um, on to the Yankees really quick. Cause I don't really want to spend much time there. I did see something that made me like laugh slash get annoyed at the same time earlier. And it was Fox Bet Live or Fox Bet Sportsbook, whatever the heck, CBS Sportsbook, there's multiple of them. They said non-actionable Aaron Judge landing spots. And it was like the Rangers plus 400 or the Giants plus 200 and whatever it was, the Astros. The Astros were plus 600. And I'm like, oh, so this is literally just a fake odds list here. (laughs) Comment on your Instagram and not even be able to put, it's a non-actionable Odds it market. seems super bleacher reporty. It does. It feels very bleacher reporty. And I saw that, and I like kind of chuckled because the Astros were on it. it. Just made me laugh that somewhere a Yankees fan who is like annoyed already saw that was like oh, the Astros. And meanwhile, it's a completely fake thing that doesn't matter at all. And <laughs> I couldn't know how to feel about that. That's one thing that I saw about baseball today. It made me feel very, very weird. All right. <laughs> talking baseball. Uh, yeah, also Aaron Judge. Can we just give him the MVP already so I can cash the ticket I put in on my DraftKings like six months you ago? You did it? You you do it every year and you it finally hit. Well, Aaron, Aaron Judge. Yeah, I have, you do it every year. I think I have put that on. You have. I wish I put it in the beginning of the year. I did wait wow. halfway, so it, it was only like a plus, I don't know, plus 180 maybe, plus 200. Still still good. I'm not complaining. Not, not catching last, me. last thing I'll say about baseball, uh, I put my uh, my Twitter app for the first time like uh, throughout this entire baseball season. If you want to shit on me for being a Yankees fan and dancing on the Mets graves and everything like that, go ahead. Deserve wow. it. Go for you. There is one person on YouTube who I believe – oh, man, I might have to pull it up. I no, that, dude, that dude sucked. 
That dude, if you're if you're listening to me, you can find his name. That dude has a big old dump in his pants. That guy. Oh, well, I, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I gotta find it because I thought he had to Mets be, fan. If I'm being Mets frank. fan, was he a Mets fan though? I don't think it was very clear that he was a Mets fan. It was very no, clear that that, 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 that dude's Mets fan. Yeah. Yankees fan though. Very clear about yeah, that. That's fine. I am, but like you know, like at least I own who I am. Like that that dude's got a big dump in his pants. That guy that guy's a baby who sucks his thumb. So. Oh man, I, I really I gotta find it. He he's been a, a loyal follower here on uh, on the podcast, and here it is. No, it's not Drew Nasty. That's Andrew. That's um, it's somebody else. I gotta. Drew find Nasty could also. Oh wait, wait, real quick, big old shout out to Drew to to Drew Nasty who had a baby. Yes. So uh, the other half of the designated hitters, big time baby daddy. Yes, congratulations to Andrew Kalani. I probably should have opened that. Bad host, bad friend. Uh, congrats <laughs> on number two for our favorite Drew. Uh, that that's exciting stuff. And you and I, Alec, we're just sitting here with our dogs. That's all. We, that's all we got. Uh, but here, here it is. I found it. More Jesse. Shout out to you, more Jesse. You're more you're Jesse. My... More like less Jesse. Am I right? <laughs> he said the Mets blew it for sure, but we always knew the weakness of this team has been hits, runs, and home runs. That hasn't changed since the start of the season. Your buddy is so salty. That's you. Your buddy is so salty. He's acting like the whole team personally promised him to win it all. Keep the perspective of last season to this season. Uh, they didn't promise me anything. I don't give a crap about the Mets. I hope they lose every day. Uh, I ain't salty at all. I was grave dancing. That's what I do best. I wrote back, Alec is so salty in all caps, but he is also a Yankee fan who says he hates the Mets more than he hates the Red Sox. So I guess we just True. can't hold him. <laughs> True. True. Mets, Mets number one, Eagles number two. Oh, so, so nuts. We need to move on. We need to move on right now because I don't want to have that conversation again. It's All okay. Right. But quickly, before we get into this next talk, I got to tell you about our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, of course, because NBA fans, the NBA action is just getting started. And so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA pregame money line bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. We're always talking about new customers getting this, new customers getting that. But guess what? Everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings Stepped Up Same Game Parlay. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, total points scored, assists, whatever you want, and then step that same game parlay right up. Coming up in a minute, we're going to be talking all about the New York Knicks, and they have a game against the Nets on Wednesday night. So if you're listening to this, here's my advice on a same game parlay. We talk about Julius Randle doing some good things this year, but he hasn't been getting a ton of assists, right? He's been attacking the glass. How about an over on Julius Randle rebounds, over on Jalen Brunson assists, and over on R.J. Barrett points? I think that should be about 20 points. And then, since they are uh, just slight favorites here against the Nets, you take them on the money line if you're getting frisky, if you're feeling frisky, right? Maybe you take them on, on the plus end and change that alternate line to get some points in the Knicks' favor. Either way, with bigger payouts than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is the only place I go to bet on the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPM. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPM. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Anyways, Pete Kennedy. Alec Argento, here to talk Knicks, here to talk Giants, maybe mention the Jets a little bit after their big win. Um, and it, it's it been pretty exciting here in New York. And despite a more mediocre, if you would argue, start to the Knicks season, there's still a lot of things to look forward to. There's still some things to be excited about, albeit question marks. So 
Uh, why not just start with the Knicks and kick that thing right off and get right into it? Big win over the Timberwolves on Monday night. That is very nice. Uh, but there hasn't been all rainbows and butterflies. Here's my nugget for you here, Alec. This is a little statistic that I saw that I find rather interesting because the Knicks are 5-5. Five and five. Their net rating is 15th in the league, right, which is smack in the middle. And their net rating on a plus-minus perspective is 0.0. So you're telling me they're dead even, which their record would represent. Yeah. Very... <laughs> It's almost bizarrely even. They are very, very average right now. And my question to you, is that the story of this season and this team? Are they so up and down quarter to quarter sometimes that they are just average? That's where I want to start you, and then you kind of take it from there. I don't know. Um, I think it's hard. First of all, 10 games is not representative of anything right like you look around the league the the heater under 500 right like the 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 nets are under 500 we don't know what things are going to be uh come the end of the season the jazz are like eight and three i think going into today so like that's part of it the knicks have also look at their schedule right like they've only either played incredibly bad teams or incredibly good teams right and then in addition to that you look at a game like yesterday and you want to like celebrate how great the win is but they shot in a way that is not something that you can do on a nightly basis. And the game they lost before that was the flip side where the Celtics shot 27 threes or whatever it was. So as record. That, and, and that's not representative of the Celtics. Like the Celtics are good three point shooting team. Don't get me wrong, but like, that's not a game that they'll do again this season. Or maybe if they do, it's once or twice, right? Like they're not going to do that night in and night out. No, they literally just, set the franchise record for threes in a game. Right. Yeah. So it's just like, it's been so it's been so like hot and cold and i don't think you'll get a better understanding until you see a depth of most teams and even like the teams that they played that are good they happen to play almost all of their crappy teams at home and they happen to play all of their good teams on the road right so it's it's just super weird right now and i don't really know what to make out of that five and five what to make out of that zero on the net rating and the point differential and everything like that that being said um randall looks good this year Right, he looks at super efficient. The Obi Toppin looks like the guy, which we I was texting PD about yesterday. Like he looks like the guy. Um, quickly looks like he's like, developing more. And RJ, after getting off to a really slow start, as he tends to do every season, apparently, is now being awesome. Right, like he's he's shooting like forty five percent from three, and he's shooting like fifty percent from the field, and everything like that. And he's shooting eighty five percent from free throw. I think these are numbers off the top of my head, so I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they're almost entirely accurate. So. I don't know. There's a lot to see. And then you obviously have Jalen Brunson, who is a like turnover percentage like machine. He just doesn't turn the ball over and assists like crazy. So I think it's just a matter of them getting to like getting a little bit more cohesive. And um, like, I don't know if you listened to the, the post game talk with Randall yesterday, but it's like Rose had that little bit of a leadership moment where he was saying, hey, Tibbs is giving us the green light to shoot threes. Let's shoot threes, which is what they've kind of been reluctant to do. But three point defense has been atrocious all season. Um, so that's something you got to work on, but that's something they can work on, right? Like that's something you can scheme for. So that's my initial thoughts. Any questions? Happy to field them. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting with the three point percentage thing for opponents. It's almost like the ghost of season past is coming back at us. That first tip season, nobody was hitting threes against the Knicks and people were talking about it at length, writing articles about it. Like, is it the Tibbs defense? Is it the effort? Is it luck? And perhaps it was a little bit of both, 
but that's clearly swung the other direction. Other teams are not struggling to get looks off uh, from deep here against Knicks early on. But to go back to your larger points here, if this was a football season, right? We're at 10 games here for the Knicks. This is a normal amount of games to talk about a football team. We're pretty much there in the NFL right now. You would look through for a team that's mediocre from a record perspective and say, oh, look who they played here. Look who they beat. Look who they lost to. Is this a good loss or a bad loss? They have no bad losses. Now you can right. argue the Hawks loss is bad. Because that's a bad loss. Because of how it broke down. But it's not because it's a bad team. Not right. because the Hawks are bad. It's because of how it went. They've lost to Memphis. Milwaukee, Cleveland, Atlanta, and Boston. Five absolutely. And they've had leads in almost all of those games going into the fourth quarter. Correct. They even played OT with Memphis in yep. opening night, which was which was a really exciting game. Um, so all of those teams are almost guarantees to make the playoffs. I'd say the Hawks are the only team of that bunch that are not a lock to be a top uh, six. I think they're a lock with Jonte Murray, man. <laughs> they're probably a lock. They're, you know, I would say they're probably. You're fi- very fair. They're probably a lot to make the playoffs as well. So six or five bona fide playoff teams that you lost to. And then you have some decent wins. You know, you when you beat Philly, even though they're a little banged up, beating Minnesota, even though they're off to a slow start, is still a good win. Yeah, Detroit, Orlando, Charlotte, whatever. But as we said in years past, the Knicks have to beat who they're supposed to beat. When they made that run to the four seed two years ago, that was the key to their season. It's beating who you're supposed to beat, whether you're a two-point favorite or a six-point favorite, win the game. And then go 50-50 against the teams that might be better than you. And right now, and boom, you're in the playoffs, right? It's something that they haven't done for a really long time, but they have to do it from here on out. They have a relatively interesting stretch coming up with Brooklyn on Wednesday night, Detroit, Oklahoma City, Utah, Denver, Golden State, Phoenix. So it's like not a, it's the same. A- it's the same story. It's like it's good teams, bad teams. It's like nothing in between. Right. And some of those bad teams there are happen to be first in the Western Conference. Shout out to Utah Jazz, who are nine and three. So again, it is very interesting to see how mediocre they are from an outcome perspective right now, based off of playing really good teams and really bad teams. So I want to see them play some of those teams in their realm, some yeah. of those like six through ten seeds in east and west, and then see how they kind of stack up from there. Right. Once they play like the Raptors, once they play the Heat, I mean, even the Nets, honestly, for two yeah, the too. Absolutely. Yeah. And because and, now we can really see what we have in, in the Brunson Barrett Randall combo. And before we get into Brunson, because obviously that's been a big talking point in the early parts of the season, it was the big offseason acquisition. Randall's kind of been talked about. I kind of want to start on RJ Barrett. I saw such a aggressive discourse online that I thought in the first couple games, the, the internet hates RJ Barrett. And, and it's weird. It's a weird thing. And I'll ask you this. Is it because some of the analytics aren't always kind to him and that gives online people just a chance to vulture in? Or do you think it's it's legitimate questions about his game and his skill set? I think he's always playing an uphill battle because he gets off to slow starts and that's going to be reflective into the analytics. That's going to be reflect like RJ Barrett is the, 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 the quintessential player where it's like if you take this game out of it, look at his stats, like that's who he is, right? So he, he, if you look at his first like three games, he was kind of dog shit, right? And and if you take those out, he's been incredible. Like that's what the MSG stats always show up. is like in the last 10, uh, in the last seven games, and not including the first three, he's been shooting like 60% from the field and 50% from three and whatever. He's just a guy who's going to have like some pretty low lows. They don't last for long, but those lows are pretty like exorbitant when they happen. He's still a young player. I mean, he's still 22 years old. So... Um, I don't think he's bad. I don't think he's John Morant. 
right? And and like that's that's okay. He wasn't supposed to be, and I don't think he's in this you know situation where he's gonna have like like look at Cleveland with Darius Garland or something like that because I know they get kind of get grouped together for obvious reasons too because they were in the same draft and they got taken after him. But you know, Cleveland's at a they've drafted better. They have better like not that the Knicks have drafted poorly, but they've drafted stars where the Knicks haven't drafted stars. They've drafted good rotational players. So you look better when you have that. And then when you have Spida on your team and things like that. So um I I don't think RJ's bad. I don't think RJ's the savior either. He's I, I think he'll probably have an Andrew Wiggins kind of career. I hope I'm wrong. He's got the tools. He's very toolsy um, to be better. But like, and he's super confident. He clearly puts the work in. But he might not be a guy who pops until like six, seven years into the league. That's when he gets his first All Star bid. Uh, I don't know. He seems like a guy who's going to average like twenty to twenty three points for like the next two or three years, and then maybe maybe pops off into uh, on a good situation for him becomes an All Star. And the weird thing, or not the weird thing, the thing that kind of separates him from Andrew Wiggins at this point of Andrew Wiggins' career, like saying when he was 22, is the mentality. And it's something that I've spoken about many times on this podcast. You know, you and I have spoken about over and over again. He has the right mentality. Over and over again, he shows it. His effort is always there. He's always trying to add stuff to his game. And it usually shows out over time. Uh, It was clear to him that he wanted to be better as a free throw shooter. Guess what? He's shooting his best free throw percentage. Maybe throughout the season, he's going to say, I really need to finish better around the rim. Cause I think that's, I think that's his biggest weakness. He'll have ups and downs shooting from three. He'll hit 13 of 26. Like he has over the last X amount of games, which is really good. In, in fairness though, like that, that weakness, that weakness is really, really pronounced when he gets to the rim as effectively as he does. And then he doesn't finish. And then when he gets fouled, he, he historically has not been a good free throw shooter. So like that is a weakness that you can like for nor- normally for any other player, you'd be like, okay, well that's, they, they do other things, but like his game is reliant upon that. And right. if he's not, if he's not finishing and he's not shooting his free throws, it's like, it's pretty bad. Right. Yeah, I definitely don't want him to stop attacking the rim. 100% correct. Right. The pressure that he puts on the defense when he does so, it just opens up for everybody else as well. It opens up for Mitch. It opens up for the shooters, et cetera. And that's been the big ticket for the Knicks offense this year, realistically, is now it's not just Julius Randle. You need to get to the rim or else we're just going to be passing the round, ball around aimlessly. Right? It's Brunson can get in there. Barrett's getting in there. Rose gets in there. Quickly gets in there. Not just Randle. And the shooters are doing all right as well. That, that's been kind of the big, I'd say, vibe switch for me watching this offense is seeing multiple people being able to do something. But just to just put a pin on, on the RJ stuff here, you're right. I, I don't know from a statistical standpoint if he's going to get to 24 points. It doesn't seem like this is the year it's going to happen, and that's okay. Will he get to an efficient 20, like kind of where he's getting to right now? I think that's very possible. Now, in New York, if you're winning and you got a guy averaging 20 who everyone likes – Maybe that can get you an all-star appearance, but nonetheless, I think it's okay. I do think that the online reaction to his slow start was way too aggressive and frankly surprising based off of how happy people were that the Knicks didn't trade him for Donovan Mitchell and how I, I think, people were. I, I think part of it is too. I think part of it is too, is that <clears throat> you're no longer the guy on the rookie contract right? Like you, you're, you're now the guy on the 120 million or whatever it is. And I, I think he's deserving of it, but people, people reactively look at that number and they think it's 2006. Right. And like that 120 million is an outrageous number for someone in his age group, but it's not when you look at like Tyler hero, getting the same, getting more money around the same thing and everything like that. And, um, 
you know, that kind of dichotomy switch once you once you have the money and you're not just the rookie who's has the potential, like now it's kind of put up or shut up time. If you're not doing it immediately, it becomes super problematic. And I see a lot of Knicks fans turning on RJ now too. Just like it's kind of what happens. Like now we expect you fourth year player to immediately just like you're you're good to go. You're ready to lead us to to uh to like the playoffs and be our best player and things like that. And he's just not there yet. Which is fine. Again, he's 22 years old. Uh but, you know, it's just I think that's where that kind of mentality comes from. And here's some stats for you as well on the RJ Barrett front. This is from uh Basketball Reference. We have his percentages uh within certain points of the field. So within 3 feet from 0 to 3 feet from the rim, he's right now on a career high pace 67%. So we're talking about those numbers inside the paint, you know, near the rim. He's actually shooting as good as ever, better than ever uh, in, in his career. Then from three to 10 in that mid range, he's at 35%, not great league wide there, but is the best number of his career where he's struggling right now is in the deep mid range. And from three, the, the three point percentage is still 29%, even though it's been way better over the past five, uh, five games. Um, and then the deep mid range is 22 percent and 33 percent from 10 to 15 and 16 to three so the, the jump shooting is the struggle but i do think that goes back to the slow start he's clearly picked it up inside it's starting to pick up outside and we're having this conversation today alec there is a chance that the inside stuff stays good and 29 percent becomes 36 percent and that 20 points per game does become 23 points a game a leap that we didn't really think possible yeah, yeah. for sure I, I mean, I, I think it's going to be dependent upon the cohesion that the team has too, right? You give him wide open looks, he usually makes the wide open looks, right? Like, and like his, his play isn't to be the guy who makes contested threes. That's just not who he is. And that's fine. He can do that. The play is for Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle to break it down enough so that they can kick it out to RJ and, 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 you know, hit a wide open shot. So if you do that and you're playing crappier teams who don't play good defense, he's going to hit it better and it's going to just kind of skyrocket in and of itself, right? Yeah, 100%. And let's talk about now Jalen Brunson here for a little bit. We already kind of spoke about Randall and how much better he's been as a leader and more consistent as a player that he was last year. But I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on who Julius Randall is. We kind of know what his absolute high end is like from two years ago. We kind of know what his absolute bottom is <laughs> last year. And then three years ago, we're definitely trending towards the better right now. So we don't really need to discuss that. It looks good on the Randall front on the Brunson front. Can you possibly for the listeners, at least calibrate what you were expecting. And then now what you've seen over the first 10 games. What I was expecting was a, bu a bust because the Knicks historically signed busts, right? Like, so <laughs> I would say I'm pleasantly surprised. He is, uh, I'm comfortable in saying he's the best point guard we've had in the past 18 years. Uh, and I think that's, that's what, you know, a pretty reasonable thing to say. That's not, uh, that's as much of a compliment uh, to, to Brunson as it is as an insult to the, the point guards that we've had in the past uh, 18 years. Um, he is super crafty. And he slows the offense down. He kind of brings a presence of patience, which is exactly what the Knicks need. Um, he is incredibly limited on defense. He tries his hardest. He's a, he's a hustle guy. But he can lose you a game on defense just as much as he can win you a game with the other stuff. So it is a trade-off. So it gets tough to watch when he's – matching up with John Morant, for example, or, or something like that, right? Where, where John, you know, you're going into that, into that uh, game, like 
John Moran's putting 45 on you. DeJounte Murray's putting up 35 on you. And uh, it's going to be like that as long as he's here. He does the little things. He'll take a good charge for you. He'll steal the ball for you. He'll get in the passing lanes and everything like that. But if somebody's in, if he's in somebody's face, it's nothing, right? And they're just gonna they're gonna drain the shot in front of him. So that gets tough. But um, I, his footwork, I don't think I've ever seen anybody with footwork like him. He could like teach a clinic to centers on how to like work in the paint because he's just that good, and it's ridiculous to say. On top of that, his turnover rate, like I said before, is outrageous. I don't have the number in front of me, but he's had two periods where it was like 15 to no, uh, fifteen uh, assists to, to no turnovers. And then I think yesterday they said it was like 35 to, to no turnovers. Uh, and then I think he had a couple in, in between those like three, four game stretch. Um, that's what we need, right? Just go and get inside, kick it out, make the right reads. Do a nice pick and roll, which we never did beforehand, and he, he's utilizing that. And it just seems like he can create us a, a, a modern offense. Um, and as an aside, um, I, I actually do want to give Tibbs a lot of credit this year because he's kind of breaking the mold for what he's doing, uh, and and having someone like Brunson, I think allows Tibbs to be a little bit more experimental, right? Because you know what you have in your team now. You know what they're capable of. You have someone who's established like him and brings an element to the game that the team just hasn't had in the three years or two change that that he's been here. So um, it's nice to see what Tibbs can do now that Brunson is here and he has a healthy Derek Rose who doesn't have to play 35 minutes a game, right? He can plug him in for 11 minutes a game, a really effective 11 minutes a game. uh, And then kind of screw with the rotations as he needs. And, and then quickly has also been awesome this year too. So he's got like options at point guard, which he's never had since being here. With the Brunson thing, just before I forget, 4.2 assists to turnover ratio. So 4.2 assists to every turnover. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty, 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 pretty good. Impressive. Pretty freaking impressive. On the point guard front, you're 100% right. As much as it is a compliment to Jalen Brunson, it is way more an insult to the Knicks organization <laughs> Like I was actually doing a pod right after maybe like game three or so. And I did five takes on the NBA. One was about Jalen Brunson. And I like kind of off the top rattled some of the Knicks point guards who were actually good. And like, I think Jason Kidd at age like 49. Jason Kidd and Raymond Felton. Those are the best ones we've had since Marbury. That's what I said. I was like, it was Jason Kidd for one year when he was super old, but knew what to do. Raymond Felton two different times where he was kind of frisky for a little bit. And then Jeremy Lin for like four weeks. Like that was the Knicks point guard (laughs) top three for the past 15 years. It's crazy. And then honestly, you got to give it to Derek Rose when he came over in the trade mid year. Uh, He probably was right on that list. Top three. The second, the second time you're saying the second trade, not the first trade. The first trade, he was terrible. Definitely not the first one. Um, But yeah, the Brunson thing is incredible. You and I were watching the game on uh, what was it last Friday night. And we were both agreeing. It's insane that he gets the shots off that he does at his size, at his arm length, at his everything, his athletic ability. The fact that he even gets these shots off is impressive enough. And he makes a good, like a good clip of them. I don't understand how he does it sometimes, but you're right. It's the footwork. It's the balance. And it's something that you would almost think he's going to have forever, right? Like I could see him being, 36 and still doing some of this stuff maybe not he's gonna be a good vet he's gonna be a good vet on a good team like he's not he's not the uh, he's the opposite of russell westbrook right like where russell westbrook was just all athleticism and you know that there's a ceiling to how many years you can do that whereas someone like this will you won't i mean you know you'll you'll always lose a step but like he's always gonna he's gonna add value to a team uh, for the rest of his career as a backup uh, point guard when he's like 34 35 something like that 
Yeah. And the two things that stood out to me on Brunson's front that, you know, I didn't always see in Dallas because I watched a decent bit of Dallas games. I love to watch as much Luca as possible. So I saw a lot of Brunson last year. It was the passing and it was the, the jump shooting, right? He didn't shoot a ton of threes in Dallas last year and he wasn't asked to pass very much. Right. And that's really showing the intelligence of a player like him and something that, you know, we kind of just didn't know we were getting definitely coming in because he didn't have to do it last year. He was 16 and five last year, five assists, decent for a point guard. You think about it, you're like, eh, whatever he played. He played 31 minutes a game, 32 minutes a game. He's only averaging five assists. Eh. And then you realize his job was to be the secondary scoring punch behind Luka Doncic. It wasn't to be the point guard facilitator that he is now with the Knicks. So right now he's up above seven assists in just 34 minutes a game, 19 points, very good. And he's shooting more threes than ever. And it's a little bit negative right now, 31%, not great, but he's shooting more of them and he looks comfortable doing it in different spots with step backs and all the different types of stuff. So I think that is going to grow over the course of the season. And maybe the turnover percentage won't stay as special as it is right now, but it, really seems like he has a grip on this offense and is allowing them to be consistent enough, right? So when they're getting into trouble, they're getting a little stagnant. They're not hitting shots, whatever. But when Jalen Brunson's running the show, they have something to fall back on now other than Julius Randle ISO possessions. And that in and of itself is such a huge win that almost can't even really be you know calculated for when you're looking at this team. Yeah, I I, I know you don't want to talk about Randle, but no, I don't, I don't Randall, not want to. I just you know. Randall has still like I noticed it last game uh, when I was watching. Um, if he gets the ball, the ball still dies on him, right? It's still it's still spin move McGee over here. It's still dribbling into traffic and and doing it. And it is tough to watch. He's been incredibly more efficient than he was last year and everything. He's still turning the ball over five to seven times a game, right? Like you can't have that. Uh, I don't know what you got to do there, but. Um, like you just brought it up. So I, I wanted to bring it up. It, it's, it's infuriating to watch and it will never not be infuriating and it's never been effective for him to do that. And I don't understand why that's his like main game. <laughs> it's one of those things too, that I think like basketball, Twitter and Instagram don't help. Right. So you see some of these people who don't want to be analytics guys. Like it's, it's their goal to be anti-analytics and they'll be like, Oh, I test is the most important. Well, I test can really lie to you. Right. Like if you see, highlights from Julius Randle's night on a random Tuesday or, or, or Thursday night. And you can say, Oh, look at that. ISO play. Look at that fade away from the elbow, beautiful spin move, like great finish, whatever. Like Julius Randle, man, he's got the skills. You have to look at some of the stats too. And that's where it's so important to balance both of it. Cause Twitter basketball and Instagram basketball really are only going to show you the highlights of Julius Randle and not show you that. Yeah. We just talked about Brunson's 4.2 assists to one turnover. Uh, Randall's averaging 3.3 assists and 3.1 turnovers. Yeah. Like, I don't care how many beautiful, um, you know, fadeaways he hits from the elbow, especially if he's shooting, you know, not an incredible percentage, if he's turning the ball over as much as he's assisting it. Because I found two years ago, the best part of Randall is that he was a little bit of a point forward, maybe not a full-fledged point forward where he could, you know, truly run an offense, but you kind of trusted him to make a good pass. And, and set some of his other guys up. That's something that's just not happening as much as it used to. 
No, on on top of that, another thing Randall's doing, and again, it's something if you notice, like every, it, it's funny. We started this off by saying how like the Knicks are dead even on everything. As much as I have good to say about every player on this team, there's also something that's glaringly obvious. It's negative, uh, or as you know, as many things. There's just as many things that are that are negative. Um, Randall also is has been horrendous at three point defense. I feel if we talk about the eye test, I feel like 90% of the plays that blow up where somebody's wide open is because Randall blew his coverage or something like that too. So I, he's got to tighten that up. Uh, I think he's focusing too much on being efficient. I think that's like his game this year. And that's when he wants to come in. I mean, he seems like he's a positive presence in the locker room though this year, which is a huge difference, right? I guess that's probably the most important thing for him, but like, that's something you had to clean up. He's, he's been terrible on rotations this year and just leaving guys wide open on the perimeter. Um, and you know, if there's somebody, if it's not his guy, it's because he blew a coverage or something like that. Couldn't, couldn't have said it better. Couldn't have said it better. That's been the defensive story really as a whole this year. Uh, and it's not just been Randall, but it has been him. And I'll, let's talk about some other guys now around the team here. I kind of want to start with Cam Reddish because defense <laughs> jumps out to me when speaking about Cam Reddish here, it's been feast and famine. And some more feast than famine, I'd say. I think his defense has been impressive this year. I think I've loved his energy defensively, but he's kind of a gambler. And I'd actually yeah, rather, I'd rather him be a gambler than somebody who's just timid, standing back in the corner, waiting for someone to come to him and allowing open shots. Because he's made his share of, of impactful defensive plays, right? So every time he misses a passing lane, he's actually picking off a pass. So it's a little bit of give and take, but what has been your thoughts now on Reddish? I know you said something to me in text or, or in person the other day about what you think should happen with Reddish. So go go ahead. Oh, it's funny. Feast or Famine is, is incredibly accurate because he's a guy who I'm comfortable taking a three like at this point. But if he has his eyes on the basket, he is absolutely driving to the hoop. Like there, he's not kicking it out. That that ball is going to the hoop, and he's probably going to miss it, and he's not going to get a foul. Uh, so it's really tough. His defense has been definitely above average. I wouldn't say it's been like good. I think it's been above average. Uh, I, I don't have the analytics or anything in front of me. I'm also not a big defensive analytics guy. Um, but I, I think it's it's good that I can. I, I don't. I'm not terrified of him getting the ball like I was last year. I want him to be traded. I think he's. Th- this is the top value you're going to get for Cam Reddish on a team that has no room for Cam Reddish. Um, you're able to show- showcase him a little bit. Quentin Grimes is clearly the starter going forward for, for the Knicks, not just uh, because they-, they moved Evan Fournier to the, to- to the bench role, but because he, for- by all intents and purposes, it seems that Quentin Grimes was the, the big stopper for the-, the spider trade. So if you're-, if you're not willing to trade him, that means he better be starting, and I think that everyone knows that. So if he's starting and Evan Fournier is coming off the bench and uh, you got plenty enough people who can fill in at the at the wing for you on the bench for a rotation spot. Um, you got to yeah. trade him, and you're not going to get better value than you're getting right this second. His ceiling is where he's at right now. This is just who he is. Um, his ceiling and his floor are, like, right here. Uh, so get rid of him, trade him, and um, recoup some assets on that one because that trade made no sense when we did it, and uh, it hasn't really come to benefit yeah. whatsoever. And coming into the year, he probably had no trade value, right? Because the last right. you saw of him was pretty bad for the most part. And I do think this year he looks more comfortable going to the rim, even if it's, you know, he's not going to make the right pass or anything like that. He looks a little bit more fluid. That was a big, weird thing for him early in his career. He would just have these wild drives to the rim where he's like, not in he control does. of his body. Like he didn't know what he was going to do. Like he had no clue what was going to happen when he got to the He still doesn't. I don't think he does anymore. Like I think he's still in the same spot there. It's a little bit better. I think it's been a little bit more 
showing his touch at least. Maybe it's still a little out of control, but he's at least giving some touch to the rim. But he's shooting 40% from three right now, and, and you're right. If you want to capitalize on it, you send it to a team that needs another wing who says, yeah, this guy's shooting 40%. Let's give him a go. And, and you try to get something for him, and, and we'll see if they go that, that route because it also opens up for the next person I want to talk to talk about is Obi Toppin, somebody who we've already mentioned here today as a guy who's been a bit of a revelation this year, right? He came on strong at the end of last year. You can never quite put all your eggs in that basket, the final 20 games of a season where who's tanking, who's not caring, whose seed is already locked up, the Knicks were out of it, uh, let the young guys play, whatever. Yeah, he looked good then. Now it's a real season again, real competition, and he looks better. He looks better than he did oh, he last looks good. Year. It looks really good, and the counting stats aren't that impressive because he's only playing 18 minutes a game, but he's at 11 points per game, and he's shooting 42% from three right now. I mean, that is something that I just didn't know he had, and now granted, he could easily end up the season down at 36%, but that's a really good percentage for a guy who now is showing the ability to play with bigs and smalls, right? Like, he can kind of play up to four. We've seen the lineup. Randall and Toppin being the only bigs on the floor. And now we've seen him play alongside centers like Hartenstein and, and, and Mitchell Robinson. I think that has been such a revelation for this team and may open up some of those trade possibilities to give him more minutes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's the guy. He, he, I, I, it's no secret that he came into a very, he's the guy, can you elaborate on that in this answer? Because I want you to, to describe what you mean by, the guy and what that could uh, actually entail. I think he, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm just going to throw it out there. I think he's your future at power forward. I, I think you got to, unless you, unless Tibbs is committed to that small ball lineup that he's been doing, he's been doing it out of desperation though, right? Like he's been doing it because Mitch has, has not been playing or Hartenstein and, and Sims are hurt or whatever it is. But like, if you, if, as long as you can get, he's got to get 18 to 20 minutes a game at least. Uh, and he's not getting that right now, right? What's he getting? 14, 15? No, he's playing, like 18, playing 18 a game. Okay. Well, then it's clearly not enough still because he is hitting 42% from three. And those threes, he's hitting them from all over the court, right? He's not just posting up in the corner wide up. He's taking contested threes. He's stepping into threes. He's, and then we know what he can do around the rim. That guy is in control. Talk about the opposite of Cam Reddish, right? That guy is in control of every muscle in his body. Um, and he's just such a spark plug, right? Like the ball doesn't die with him. Like he, he's got to get more time than he's getting at the moment. And I, and, and like, I don't know. I, I, I he, you're not going to get a value that you got for Julius Randall. I love Julius Randall. He'll, I'll, I'll, I'll never boo him at the garden or anything like that, but like, he's not going to win you a championship. Right. And, and I'm not saying Obi Toppin will, but he costs significantly less money and you can trade Randall for something else. that's going to benefit you like a wing, which they really desperately need unless Quentin Grimes becomes an all-star, which I, I don't think he has that in him. Um, so yeah, uh, that, that's, I, I made the bold statement that you, you wanted me to say. <laughs> I was just curious, right? Cause the guy could mean a couple different things. When you say he's the guy, you can say, Oh, he's going to be a number one scorer on a team. I don't know if he's going to be that right. Like, but can no, he's, Right. Like he's probably not going to be that, but can he be a top three scorer on a team? It looks like he might have that potential. It looks like that might actually exist. It might be closer to present than we would have thought. Um, and he's also, the guy, he's the guy that we wanted in the draft for a reason, right? Like the, right. he was, he was Julius Randall was, it was not part of the plan that that season changed everything. 
I don't think Julius Randle's overpaid. I, I know a lot of people think that he's making like $20 million a year or not really, but like he's, he's not making a ton of money. Uh, he's not a bad player. He, he can wake up and get you 26 points. It's not that big of a deal, but like, he's just, he's limits the dynamic of the team in a way that Obi top and really elevates it. Like, you know, I hate to rely on like the intangibles and the eye tests and all that stuff that can't be quantifiable, but like all that stuff Obi Toppin has. And, and what you saw early on in his career was because he didn't get consistent playing time, right? He wasn't able to fail. He, he was, you know, the second he missed a, a, a bunny or he missed a wide open three or something like that, Tibbs would take him out. Um, I think he's comfortable. He clearly wants to be here too, which I think in New York, I know it sounds stupid, but I think in New York, that's such a key to success is wanting to be here and embracing the culture around here, which we know Randall didn't do last year. And at the drop of a hat could be last year again, all of a sudden, right? Like I know he's doing it now. I just don't think Obi's got that in him. Granted, he gets that second contract and it's like RJ Barrett, you know, the same situation where everyone kind of jumps on him, but I just think he's got it in him. And like, He's he's more limited defensively than Randall is, but Randall doesn't give any effort uh, half the time, right? So it's probably more than half the time. So I think the trade-off is just kind of visibly apparent, and you can utilize that money, that cap space, for something that benefits you more, like a like a, a better wing. The question is, what is Randall's value? That's my question, right? Like, what is he actually going to bring back in a trade? I don't know who's going to really want to trade him and give something up that's really impressive, right? Like you may have to trade him for a really low end first and maybe that's good enough and some salary filler, an expiring deal or whatever it may be. And that's the question mark there. But we well, can't get we can't get off his contract because it doesn't make any sense for the team anyway because they're still they're still going to be over the the salary cap. So like you maybe a sign in trade or something like that, right? At the end of the year because you you're going to like uh he's got enough money to fill in for something. You need a contract. You need contracts like that in the NBA on your team to move for things when they become available. He can be, he can be traded. And especially as more and more years come off of his contract that he has and things like that, he'll actually have more value. I think as as time goes on. That is definitely the key. Like the, the power of an expiring deal is enormous in the NBA. That's the difference between giving up a pick and getting a pick literally, right? Like if somebody has three years, you might have to attach a pick in order to get rid of somebody. If somebody's on their last year of a deal, that means you might get something in return. Like look at Russell Westbrook right now. The only reason he has any value is because his deal is expiring. Well, it's because only- it, it not only is it expiring, but you can now have $45 million off your books. Like the bigger, the con the bigger, the contract and an expi- expiration year strike, you know, that that's in- enormously beneficial to the team. Yeah. And, and last thing on Obi, one thing I love what he brings to the table so much is the fast breakability. Yep. Not, not a lot of players on this team are really fast, and not a lot of players on this team are big north-south fast break guys. Like Barrett can get out there every once in a while. Quickly, if he gets out there, he's not really looking to finish by the rim. He's more prone to a, a pull-up three or looking to dish, right? Like Mitch is a center. He's not really getting the ability or the chances to get out there and fast break very frequently. Randall's not that guy. You know, Derek Rose can do it on occasion, but, you know, you're not going to rely on that all the time. Obi's the only guy really on this squad who can consistently get out on the break and finish big. He's the only one. And that's absolutely something they've been missing for the past two years. You also, one thing about Obi that we don't have, maybe Brunson to, to an extent too. Obi's the only person on the team that is automatic from a certain range. Uh, Obi around the basket, you know, he's scoring. You can throw it up to Obi. Obi can shoot the ball, do a little baby hook or just, 
posterize someone like that and you know he's going to do it down like it's you can't say that about anybody else on the team for any aspect you don't have a three-point shooter that's going to be like yeah they're absolutely going to make a wide open shot right you don't have someone who's going to be killer from mid-range you don't have anybody who does fadeaways you're going to be doing maybe brunson when he's like the yeah like but like not even like deep mid-range or anything like, like maybe like six to ten feet away from the basket he's probably i i feel really comfortable that he's going to make that with the footwork that he has or make the right read for it but like you need guys that that are like experts at one thing at least one thing on, on the thing and he is that like he just naturally by his by his athleticism he is an expert uh at like that zero to five foot range around the hoop yeah, and hopefully Grimes can become one of those three points you. Sure, but Obi's also Obi's also really good without the ball in his hands too, which is another thing that we we don't really have a lot of people who can move around, get to an open spot. You know, that that's that's really beneficial to a team to have people like that. Yeah, all the backdoor cuts, and it goes yep. well. It goes well with guys like Randall and Brunson who get in the lane, pull it back out, and then all of a sudden a cut behind is open. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of good things to look at with this team. And then there's a lot of question marks that, that need to be ironed out. I love that Tibbs went Fournier to the bench. And I think last thing on the Knicks here, from the Tibbs perspective, I think some of his own mortality, he he's seeing it a little bit, right? Like he's possibly realizing, okay, if I don't exhaust all resources. I am not going to be the coach of the Knicks, right? And I think that's a good thing for him to realize because it forces him to step outside of his own comfort zone, right? Like I, I don't need to hear about all the hours in the film room and how little sleep he gets, like all that stuff is beautiful. But when it comes down to, we're seeing the same product on the court game after game after game. I don't care how much film you watched. How about watch some film and come up with some new ideas, right? Like that's something we've been longing for for over a year now. And, and this year it seems like he's more willing to make some of those moves. So from that perspective of, of Tom Thibodeau as the coach, I'm pleased what I'm seeing so far. I know rotations are not perfect. It's so early that you are still testing things out. You are still going to kind of, you know, lean on your preseason opinions of the squad for a little bit longer, just to give people that chance to get comfortable and get in a rhythm. But the fact that he went for to the bench, something that I said before the season would be huge. I think it is going to be huge. His numbers are exactly the same from an efficiency standpoint. That's great. When you got a guy shooting 37%, automatic uh off the bench that's enormous especially when you haven't had that off the bench uh since really ever almost here's right? gonna be the key though right like, is is if if fournier if fournier is lighting it up again because he has those games right he has those games where he just can't miss a three he'll you know, yeah. nobody you know all the heat checks just aren't happening right like, everything's everything's dropping is he gonna leave him in Right, like, or is he now relegated to the bench guy? Tibbs needs to have fluid rotations. That's always been the biggest knock on Tibbs. Right? It's not. It's not just moving somebody to the bench. It's having a rotation when the rotation makes sense. Right? Going with the hot hand, keeping them in there, having people that don't always play the same unit. Right? Like the, the throwing in Grimes to finish if it makes sense. Grimes and quickly with the other with the three starters or whatever it is you need to like it's it's not just making the one move and then resting on your laurels and saying I did it it didn't work or whatever it is it's like moving with the pace of the game as a coach that's going to be the real test right and I think that uh, that uh, Fournier is kind of the perfect barometer for that because he will have those games right he will have those games where he cannot miss and you need to be able to like read that and keep him in and then the first sign of trouble is when you take him out or something like that right mm-hmm. um so I, I think that'll be the test. And I think you'll get that. I think I think this next game against the Nets, I think is a really important game too, 
uh, just because they, the, I don't think the Knicks have beaten the Nets in like the past like six years. If I had, a, if I, if I remember correctly, um, this is your opportunity to do it. Tips is kind of on the hot seat. I don't think he's fully on the hot seat. I think he's kind of got a lifetime contract as long as Leon Rose is here. Um, uh, so, but I, I think this is an opportunity for like a big statement win. Um, against the Nets, even without Kyrie, like to just kind of do that. And I think he has to maintain that kind of fluidity, especially because Mitch won't be in the game uh, again too, because he's still got that foot issue. Yeah. uh, Just like my seat here in the podcast studio, the seat might not be hot, but it's a little warm. A little warm. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little warm. warm. All right. All right, the New York Knicks, 5 and 5, 0.0 net rating on the season. Lost to five really good teams, beat five mediocre to bad teams. Now a stretch where they can show out a little bit against some uh some bad teams and some decent teams. So we'll see what they do as time moves on, but that's Knicks talk with Alec Argento and Pete Kennedy. And now it's time to talk about some football before we say goodbye, Alec, cuz the Giants just sure. had a bye, but they have a big game. And it may not seem like a big game if you check the opponent because they're playing the Houston Texans. But every game here for the Giants is a big one. And I might argue the games against bad teams are even more important for this team, right? Because if they go ahead and lose to uh, a really good team moving forward, there's not many of them on the schedule. But if they play a good team and lose, okay, right? You know, it's, it's fine. You know, they're not supposed to beat every team. But when they play the Texans like they are this week, when they play the Lions like they are the week after, those are the games that if they continue to pull through and win, that's how they punch their ticket guaranteed into the playoffs right now. And the NFC is catching a lot of crap for how bad they've been and how the Giants look like they have a really good shot to make the playoffs. However, the Cowboys are right there, probably a little bit better than the Giants right now. They are a little bit, they're definitely better than the Giants right now. The Eagles, yeah. obviously, the the pacing of the East of the NFC right now. The Vikings, obviously, with the great record. You got the the Seahawks, I guess, in the West. I don't know. The Niners are still hanging around. It's not a guarantee here for the Giants to make a play, play make the playoffs. But and you give me a face right there, Alec. I'm saying that because of the importance of taking care of business against teams they're now supposed to beat. It's the Texans and the Lions. They're six and a half point favorites against the Texans. Texans have been this annoying team all year that have been playing four-point games and seven-point games and really close games, even though they're one-win team. They have to take care of business. So right now at 6-2, and post-buy, your feelings on the Giants are what? Your expectations are what? I don't have expectations because to have expectations this year is ridiculous. This was a rebuilding year. Just enjoy the ride, man. Like if they don't make the playoffs, they don't make the playoffs. If they make it, that's awesome. I'm really, that that was really great because they have like $40 million in cap space next year that they can work with and go do whatever the heck they want. Um, I don't know. I, I like if they lose to a bad team, the Giants are a bad team. Like on paper, they're a bad team. So it's that's okay. Like I, I have no false illusions of who this team is. They are a team that is that that um you, that Brian Dable and Joe Shane are like squeezing water out of a stone out of right. Like that that's what they are. They lose to the Texans. They lose to the Texans. I don't think they will because I think they've proven that. If they if they can beat any team that is below them in the standings, on top of that, we talked about like the Eagles. I think the Eagles are a good team. 
I think their record is ridiculously inflated. Who have they played that was good outside of the Vikings uh, when the Vikings didn't figure it out yet? And I still don't think the I think the Vikings are in the same position the Giants are. In. I don't think they're a good team either. I think they have the almost identical team to what the Giants are. Uh, an, an average quarterback is playing what better than normal. Uh, and you know, I mean, Daniel Jones is a different story because he has more potential potentially than Kirk Cousins is. And we know what Kirk Cousins is, but like they have a good running game and pretty solid scheme defense and, and a new head coach. That's good. They're not like a good team Name superstars that they have outside of Justin Jefferson. They don't really have anybody, right? Like that Dalvin Cook has, has been garbage yeah, this year too. Um, got TJ Hawkinson above average tight ends, but like whatever. Yeah. So I, I'm just saying like the, you, you talked about the NFC East, the, the NFC in general, like even the good teams in the NFC, we don't know if they're good or not. Uh, and, and I think the Cowboys are probably better than the Eagles on paper uh, with, with Dak playing. Cause that defense is just absolutely insane. Um, but yeah, giants, whatever. I mean, like they had a bye week this week where it was a negative bye week because they lost Xavier McKinney, McKinney looking like the rest of the season for a weird ATV accident. But, like, this is never going to be our year. If we make it to the players, we're not getting past the second round. And I don't think we're getting past the first round, even if we do, right? It's just kind of how it goes. So just enjoy the ride, man, and, and we'll see how it ends up. And then next year we can have ex- we can have expectations next year. Yeah, I think that's a very reasonable way to look at it. I really do. I'm surprised, if I'm being frank. I know that, and I don't mean that, like, as an insult, but you're really the type of fan that kind of tends to go all in. Right. Like when, oh, when, yeah. when you see an, an opportunity, you will strike on like, I'm here to watch every moment. And not that you wouldn't watch every Giants game anyway, but you're literally here for the, the, the ups and the downs and let's ride, let's do all this and whatever. It sounds like you're still like that, that same mentality. You're just not going to get as down on the lows because you don't think this team is that special, which is, I think, very reasonable. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they lost to the Seahawks, and and I don't, I think the Giants are probably a better team than the Seahawks. Uh, I, I, I think they are probably more equivalent than the Giants and Vikings. I think the Vikings are a little bit better. Uh, maybe sure. a, you know, like you said that Kirk Cousins is an average quarterback playing above average, right? I think Daniel Jones right now is a below average quarterback playing average. So I think that's, that's where you're wrong. That's the one thing you're like dead wrong on. He's awesome. I, <laughs> I thought you were being serious though for a second. I am I mean, being serious. I am 100% dead serious. Daniel Jones is the guy that you need to resign for for the next three four years. Okay. Well, I don't know. I don't know about all that because he <laughs> hasn't done anything special, and I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because of the, the- most important quarterback stat is wins and losses. I, I know you, you you're gonna oh it's a team stat that is a quarterback stat. It is so so like is Tua awesome his whole career? He's been awesome his whole career. He's ha- he has an 18 and 6 record in his career. He's awesome. He's above average. He's been this year, but I'm saying like in years past, he's still had a winning record and he's been doing it who knows how. Yeah, he's been great. No. What does it matter? He's winning. That's the only thing that matters. The only thing that matters is winning. No, for the team. It matters no. for the team. But that but that's the only but that's the only thing that matters in sports. No. It's the only thing that matters in general. For the team, I agree with that. If you're talking about the team, no, this isn't fantasy. This this isn't fantasy football. This is where you make the mistake when you say, "Oh, the only thing that matters for Daniel Jones and any quarterback, for that matter, is wins." Is when you now give him a contract based off of how many wins he had last year, right? You think the contract's going to be? You think he's going to be making forty million dollars? Make twenty-five million dollars a year for the next three years, and you get to save an extra twenty-five million dollars to spend however well as you want. You get it. 
the the NFL for years has overvalued has overvalued quarterbacks. They had done it in the game has evolved to the point where you can have a game manager and, and go far into the playoffs and have a good season. It's yeah. happened more often than not in the last couple of years. Who was the last great quarterback to win to win a Super Bowl? And I'm not talking about historically great like Tom Brady or anything like that, but like uh, Matt Stafford last year. Matt Stafford, Matt Stafford has very good okay. last year. Sure. And Joe Whatever. Burrow literally dragged his team to the Super Bowl because he was very good last year. Tom Brady won two years ago. He was awesome the entire year. Tom, Tom Brady has has been a game manager for the past ten years. Two years ago, I know, he was I know, I know what his stats were. The defense was also a huge proportion of that, which is my point, right? So, like, it's think, about, a, think past. Why are you going to pay Daniel Jones based off of a run game? What are you? What are you, what are you paying? What are you paying him? I know the. the I know the price isn't going to be that crazy, but I'm, I'm not. Even, rather, question for you. Question for you. Would you rather be in the Giants situation or the Packers situation right now? Oh no, the Packers situation is a disaster right now. Who's the better quarterback this year? It's been Daniel Jones. <laughs> No, <laughs> it's Aaron Rodgers. Right. Obviously Aaron Rodgers. That's would you a, rather spend 45? How much is Aaron Rodgers getting paid? Situation. $50 like, million dollars a year? Something like that. It's insane. It's a three. Daniel year Jones will make twenty to $25 million if they re-sign him. I, I agree with that. I agree with that notion. And I'm not saying they shouldn't do that either. But I'm, I'm just saying that you now ruin your franchise if you give your quarterback a contract based off your team success because you have to look independently of that, right? So like the, the, you don't pay your giants. other positions based off team success. Why would you pay quarterback? If you're saying that quarterback is like any other position on the team, do you think the success? New York giants give a shit? If, if like Daniel Jones's stats are amazing, it's not a fantasy football team. If they're not winning, if they're not winning, do that. They're not asking him to be better. And in they're, a asking world, to, they're asking him to work within the system to win games. If that's right. what they're doing, that's what you want. That's you shouldn't what you sign off of that. You shouldn't well, pay. You should pay them what you're, you're, off that. But that's what he's going to get paid. He's not going to get paid anything more than he's worth. He's not going. Him on the open market is never. Go, he's never going to get like a, a poison pill contract. He's never going to go like the Vikings. Market, he might get a fucking backup job. He might not be a starter on the open market. He would be a starter. Some team would take if Geno Smith can be a starter would, on, on this. He would get, he would get a Panthers like fucking bullshit. Sure, but he, he, would, be, but he would be a starter. You need somebody to start. That's but what he would get. He, he has proven that he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. Maybe not the maybe not a top tier starting quarterback. He's a starting quarterback in the NFL. Maybe next year, whatever. But he would he would get signed somewhere. He will have offers. He, his best offer will be with the Giants for sure. Um, and his, his and, second best offer would be to back up another quarterback. Honestly, no, dude, you're out of your mind. Then, you're out of your mind. Starting quarterback for the Texans, and then what? They're going to be dog shit. They'd be terrible. They're, they're already they're terrible. terrible. <laughs> exactly. He's not making them better. He's not a ceiling raiser in the slightest bit at this point. He is. But that's not what the, the Giants don't need. But the Giants need someone who's going to fit their offense. They right have now, built an off. What do you do moving always, forward? You always need someone who's going to fit your offense. You're always going to need someone who's going to fit your offense. You don't think Dayball would like to have Josh Allen as his quarterback? Of course he'd like to have Josh Allen. Josh Allen he is not going to grow on trees. Who? Where, where are you going to get a Josh Allen? You're going to go a take tree. a gamble? In the, you, what? He is a tree. Literally. <laughs> you don't. Good quarterbacks are so hard to find, so hard to assess, so hard to fit into your system, and so hard to – 
just generate. Like they don't go on the open market. Like Jimmy Garoppolo was the best quarterback going on the market this year. Like and he wasn't even what's, free. What's, <laughs> no, so go, going, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, I know. Like, you, you can go. You want to go get Baker Mayfield? Like you want to go get Geno Smith? You want to go try your hand at the draft when you're going to be at the worst in like around 15 this year? Like where are you going to get this player? You stick with the guy. You're winning games, and you put good wide receivers in front of him. His entire career, he's on his third. He's on his third different scheme, a third different offensive system. He has never had wide receivers around him. He has had his, the the second worst offensive line in football his entire career. This is the first year where he has someone actually pretending uh, protecting his blind side. Um, and because Andrew Thomas didn't start out great, he's now statistically the best left tackle in football. You build around that. I don't think I don't think Dak Prescott in a shitty system is going to be a great quarterback. Like that's he was a benefit of being able to play behind the best offensive line in football for the first couple of years of his career. Now he's coming to his own, right? Now he's a different quarterback. Daniel Jones didn't have that opportunity. And then also he had horrible coaches. Look at Josh Allen. Josh Allen was horrible too when he first came into the league. He was bad. He was really bad. And then he popped up. I don't expect Daniel Jones to be Josh Allen by any stretch of the imagination, but Dable is able to get the best out of the players clearly, not just with Daniel Jones, but clearly what he did in Buffalo with, he was an integral part uh, by all accounts of what happened with Josh Allen too. So you keep him going. There's no need to add a different quarterback and lose two years, right? You're going to lose two years of development to have someone in there. It makes no sense to go change it. So that's I think my where point. Our, where, and where our disconnect is, is I'm not exclusively talking about Daniel Jones here. It, when I'm talking about quarterback stats or winning not being a quarterback stat, because when I'm saying that you can't pay a quarterback based off team success, I'm talking about across the league. I'm talking about across the league. I'm not talking about just Daniel Jones. I do believe at this point in time, the best option for the Giants is going to be to bring back Daniel Jones because I do think you're right. They're going to get a team-friendly uh, contract with Daniel Jones. But Brian Dables and, and Joe Shane are going to tell us everything we need to know when it comes to re-signing Daniel Jones this, this next year. They didn't pick up the option uh, going into the year. They wanted to see what they have. I think they're pleasantly surprised right now. But by no means is he a ceiling raiser. And at some point, when this team wants to take a next step, they are not going to be able to rely on Saquon Barkley running for 180 yards a game. It's just not sustainable. Look at the Colts. Look at the Titans. They've made their waves. They've made their splashes. When it comes down to winning time, their quarterback has to do something, and they haven't been able to do it. So as beautiful as it is this year to watch this Giants offense grind and punish people and be dogs, including Daniel Jones. He's playing like a tough son of a bitch this year. One hundred percent. Argument. I think your argument is fundamentally flawed in the fact that you're assuming that. Let me finish because then I'll give it back to you. So all that thing, all that stuff is so super true. He's been a tough motherfucker this year. He's running his heart out, and, and I don't think the coaching staff even cares if he gets hurt that much because at this point he's almost expendable to them. And that tells me everything I need to know about how are, how they are, are are treating him as the future of this franchise. Like the best option for us to gain yards and put points on the board and win is possibly putting a quarterback in harm's way because that's the only way he can get it done right now. And I think there's a point of diminishing return in the future where you get into those tight games and you need 
the quarterback to make something happen in the air. It just doesn't exist yet. It's not there yet for Daniel Jones. And that's okay. He should still probably be the quarterback for them for the next one to four years. 100%. I'm on board with that. But you have to be careful because all of a sudden you're going to be in a NFC divisional playoff game against the Cowboys, against the Eagles, against some some team that can put points on the board, and you're going to need him to throw the ball, and it's not working yet this year. Willing to give the benefit of the doubt, the weapons are absolutely trash. Absolutely trash. If he was in the Dolphin system right now, he'd probably be throwing 250 yards a game as well. Those receivers are sick. However, it's important to look at it from a balanced perspective. Otherwise, you get in trouble down the road. I, th- I I don't I don't think your assessment is fair, and I think that it's flawed in the fact that you're assuming there could be zero growth from Daniel Jones going forward. Um, I think he has shown tremendous growth this year alone, and attaching that with what you just said, he, I, I can't over I, I can't overstate this enough. Uh, I mean, understate this at all. He has had zero wide receivers this entire year. Even his, like terrible. terrible. It's. It's them, the Giants, and probably the Chargers are in a similar boat with having no wide receivers because they're they're all hurt there too. But like the worst cores in in football. You now if, by by re-signing him to twenty five million, doing everything that 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 Dave, uh, that um the chain had done going into the season by getting rid of Blake Martinez and and James Bradbury and everything like that. Those those things that really hurt in the moment, but then clear up forty million dollars for next year and things like that. Having all your draft picks. Because you didn't make you didn't you you were very measured in this uh, in this trade deadline because you knew that you still needed to build and this was you were committed to this being a rebuilding year you didn't want to overreact they can now do whatever they want to do and I, there's a clear level of assessing talent that is correct at, at, from Shane's level right now from Dable's level uh, and from Kafka and Martindale and everything like that you there's going to be expectations for a reason next year because you can put things around him Daniel Jones is going to grow. I think he's going to be a better quarterback. I don't know what his ceiling is, but it, it's not this because you can't be worse than the, the, the wide receivers that he has this year. You just, you cannot be. So you go into next year, you draft a wide receiver in your first round. You sign another wide receiver. Maybe you sign, T, you trade for T Higgins or something like that because they can't re-sign him and, and Jamar Chase. There's things out there for you to do that are going to immediately change the dynamic of what Daniel Jones has. And like you said before, if he was in the Dolphin system where he had Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, Waddle, he's going to throw for 250 yards. Like it's impossible not to, as long as you don't have a wet noodle for an arm. And he has statistically been one of the most efficient quarterbacks the majority of the season outside of last game for like the, 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 the previous four or five games, he was the statistically best, uh, 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 most efficient quarterback in, in the NFL. He's led the most game winning drives in the NFL. He's a gamer. They clearly want to re-sign him. <coughs> they, I don't think them not picking up his option was telling as, as was as telling as his performance on the field this year. You're acting like he's been garbage this year. He has not been garbage. Ever he's been, I, I, you're inferring it. Uh, like you didn't say that. I, I don't know, man. It's, it's coming across like, like I literally said, I'm giving him the full benefit of the doubt that the receivers have been trash and he's playing like a tough, tough dude right now. All true. The one thing that we want. You're saying he can't, you're saying he can't do things through the air. Like he, he can, that was actually his positive. He has, that was, this because year. He has I, know, I know, I know, I know we're going, now we're going in circles. Now we're going in circles. <laughs> he physically hasn't this year through the air, despite the efficiency. And, sure. and last year and the year before I was harping on him that he wasn't throwing any touchdowns and he needs to score in the red zone. They're scoring in the red zone. 
And if I want to give some of the credit to Daniel Jones, I'm glad to do so. A lot of the credit goes to, to Dayball and the offensive uh, coordinator as well. Um, but one thing we 100% agree on is the trust in this front office and coaching staff right now. So all those yep. things you just laid out were absolutely beautiful. The receivers, they need to do something there. Obviously the team has a great path to be way more talented next year because defensively they're, they're good. There's still room, there's room for them to be great on defense as well. So there's a great path for this team to be a lot better. And I still believe, like I said before, that Daniel Jones should be the quarterback moving forward for, for now. And I'm just saying to be careful with it, right? If, if all of a sudden don't think this is going to happen, the giants gave him a $32 million a year contract. That'd be crazy. It'd be crazy. Right? So, so let me ask you this question. Would you rather have Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert at 40 million plus or Daniel Jones at 23? Daniel Jones at 23. Yeah, I, that's but, where but I would can I, can I Can I explain? Sure. If I was in the situation that they were in compared to what the Giants are in, Giants have too many holes that they need to fill. That $15 million goes to five players, six players, seven players, whatever it is. You need that in this moment. They are not a Super Bowl contender. They will probably not be a Super Bowl contender next year either. It's like year three. You need that money right now to do that. Do I, if you're asking me on paper, do I want Joe Burrow or, or do I want Daniel Jones? Obviously, I want Joe Burrow. Yeah. Like that, that, that goes without saying. That $15 million is so crucial to what the Giants need for next year, right? That That's kind of the, 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 the impetus of my whole rant is that, that that money is so important because we don't have enough money to elevate practice squad players for the rest of the year. That's how bad our cap situation is right now. We have the worst cap situation in the league. So like that money is going to be crucial because Gettleman left us in a mess. Absolute disaster, Dave Gettleman. Don't even want to yeah, say yeah. his name on the damn podcast. Good at assessing talent, though, uh, in the draft. Very good at that. Who? Gettleman. Very good. Yeah, he just didn't know their value. That was his yeah. problem. He he was yeah. fine at talent assessment. He had no clue about value of when somebody should be drafted or how much you should pay them. Right. He just knew if they were good or bad. Right. Leonard, Leonard Williams awesome. is one of the biggest cap hits in the league. Like <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a good, damn good player. Yeah. yeah. It's like it sucks that he had no no fucking understanding of how much or when. That was his big issue. But but look around all the good young players that the, the Giants have. Look at Dexter Lawrence, Xavier McKinney, Julian Love, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley. Like these are the guys he drafted. Like they're they're all they're all over the league. So Andrew Thomas, you know, like uh, yeah. these these guys were his people. So yeah, I I can't, I can't wait to see what happens here. And, and frankly, like even with the lack of receiver talent. I'm still hoping to see some more passing out of Daniel Jones against the Texans and against the Lions. You get the Cowboys after that, and it's gonna be tough. That's gonna be a tough matchup. That's their that's their yeah, big loss sure. here, right? And so just run through the schedule real real quick here. Texans, Lions, as I mentioned, then Cowboys, Commanders, Eagles, Commanders, Vikings, Colts, Eagles, right? So that's why I'm saying if you are gonna look at this season in a vacuum here, how important it is to beat the Texans and Lions. You get to eight wins and then you kind of split the rest of the games and all of a sudden you're a double digit win team. Right. And like, that's special. I was a, a guy on this podcast before the season starting saying, how in the hell is the giants over under seven and a half, right? Like how stupid am I for, for saying that? Cause they've just taken care of business against a bunch of teams. Some of which we thought they could beat some of which we had no idea they could beat, like the Ravens or the Packers uh, for, for that example. So what they do against some Titans. of these teams moving forward, Titans as well, who have now been on, on a rampage here um, before losing to the Chiefs. So, so yeah, I, I still want to see some more things out of him. 
I do expect him to be the quarterback because the point you made that I also agree with on the quarterback front is the reset that would almost definitely take place if you got a new quarterback next year. It could be the number one pick in the draft for all it concerns. It's still going to be a growing curve for that quarterback, and it's going to take another year or two for them to get right. So the way this roster set up elsewhere would lend itself to a quarterback like Daniel Jones, who has already went through the growing pains rather than a new quarterback who now is setting you back two more years. So that's where I do agree with you. And again, I don't want to say he's been bad this year. He definitely hasn't been bad. In years past, I've been happy to say he's been bad. He's not been bad this year. Not been great either. So he that's, still that's won't say he's good though. Say he's good. He's been good this year. He's been good this year. There you go. <laughs> he's been good this year. All all encompass like all encompassing. He's been good. The running is awesome. We've been talking about it since he's a rookie. This dude has legs. He's fast. He's pretty strong. He needed to be running the ball, especially in and around the red zone. His it's entire also not not turning the ball over at all. At not all. at all. Not at all. Which is Which, what, what was his biggest knock his entire career? Turnovers. Left, you know, left, you know what wasn't his biggest knock? Quarterback deep passes and accuracy his entire career. Right. That's because right. he had better receivers before. When he gets better right. receivers, now that he's figured out the turnover stuff, now he's got a left tackle, now he's got a system that's modern, not from the 1930s, he will be good next year. He won't be great. He won't be the best quarterback in the NFL, but you put good stuff in front of him, he will capitalize on it, and the Giants will have – Next year, if they get what they need to do, they're a 12 win team next year. The Jason Garrett hiring set this <laughs> franchise back so bad. And now, <laughs> so and now he's setting back NBC. Like, yeah, this guy, <laughs> he's a robot, dude. He's, he so, must he's be, so- like really nice, though. He must be like a really nice guy to just keep getting these awesome jobs. Like, he really must be a pleasure to hang out around because he, I don't know what else, what else does he have? Like, he's not the smartest guy in the room. He's not the coolest guy in the room. So wasn't what is Tony he- Romo undrafted? Maybe that's what it was. He turned like an undrafted guy into a good quarterback in the NFL. I guess so. I guess so. He won coach of the year before that. He's won coach of the year, Jason Garrett. Did he ever won a playoff game? Maybe one. I don't think they, I don't think the Cowboys ever won a playoff game under him. No, I think Dak has one playoff win. Does he? No, I think I one. That's know. for the audience to look up for us. Figure it out. Uh, last thing, this is just a thought generally about the NFL. Four years ago, three years ago, in that general range, it was a very common thing to think, and I, I kind of subscribe to this mindset, being a guy who loves wide receivers. It's just like my favorite position to watch and, and talk about and, and whatever, my favorite players. It was easy to say in that three years ago span, it's a quarterback league, and you could win being average at wide receiver. And it is changing so fast. Last year it started. This year it's even more prominent. You could be average at quarterback if you're great at receiver. Yep. It is completely changing. And I think part of it goes to the way offenses are operating with like the RPO game and the quick game being such a extension of the run game and such a key component of every offense around the league where you can hit Tyreek Hill five yards down the field and he can turn it for 25 at a blink uh, just to use him as an example. It's nuts to me how quickly that shifted. Cause I remember being on this podcast two years ago saying, you know, when was the last great receiver to be a cog on a Super Bowl team? And you go through the teams and all the teams were average at receiver, average at receiver. Maybe they have one decent guy. And now every team in the league who's been elite 
they have one of those go-to guys that you can lean on. Like think, think about it from top to bottom right now, the AJ Brown addition for the Eagles has been enormous. Um, you look at now how CD lamb has looked since Dak Prescott has returned, how good he's been, how important Stefan Diggs is to the Buffalo bills. We can't talk enough about Jamar chase and T Higgins in Cincinnati. Like, the Chiefs offense has still been statistically good, but you can totally feel the lack of Tyree Kill on that offense. What about the Giants? And and exactly on the flip side, how bad they they look from a passing perspective because of the lack of talent uh that they have. And now, like what Justin Herbert has to do. Jets do. Two. Jets do. I mean, Jets don't really have a clear cut number one on that team. They have they have way more uh receiver talent than the Giants right now. And they, that they have more talent, but it hasn't really differentiated itself. I was going to say that's the only saving grace to Zach Wilson right now is that Garrett Wilson is making plays, right? Like Zach Wilson doesn't have to do anything special for Garrett Wilson to get 95 yards. And that's 80% of Zach Wilson's passing yards right there. Right. So it's like, it's actually kind of crazy how much that's changed. It's just a, something that I've been noticing this year in particular. So even more so to your point about Daniel Jones and, and giving some time to him for, for allowing the team to catch up. To, to lift him up a little bit as well. So I don't yeah. know. That's just, that's just the thought. Go, so this 20, minute podcast, this 20 minute podcast was pretty quick. Sorry. <laughs> no, uh, we talked about a lot. Great stuff, Alec. Um, you know, some thoughts on the Knicks and all the stuff going on with New York basketball. And then the giants, obviously we just touched on a lot. My last words for you is you are seeing black Panther Wakanda forever on Thursday. And I know you and I are both excited about the film. So what are your uh, what are your thoughts going in? Are you as level headed about this film as you are about the New York Giants? No, I'm I'm irrationally hyped about it. I, I, I Ryan Coogler Coogler has never missed. Um, like put a movie out there that he's done. It's been awesome. Uh, he cares so much about the the whole world that he's built, and the CGI looks great, which has been a huge knock on 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 uh, uh, Marvel for a while now. Namor looks like he's going to be an awesome villain by all the reviews that I'm reading. It seems like it's true. Um, my worry obviously was the worry that everyone had is like, how do you fill that gigantic hole of not having Chad, Chadwick Boseman, but it seems like they've leaned into it, which I think is kind of important to the movie. And, and, and I'm just super duper hyped about it. Namor villain. Actually. Uh, well, he's kind of like an anti-hero, but they, they, yeah, it's no more now. It's not anymore anymore. It's now it's no more. Well, the way um, one of the guys on YouTube, I watch Eric Voss described it is that, like he and the people from, I think it's Talukan, which is mm-hmm. their, their native uh, area. They call him Namor, but I think he still is called Namor occasionally. So I think it might be both. We'll see. Um, I guess. I guess we'll find a hell, of a, hell of a job by Marvel to now release a movie after Aquaman and it for it to not feel like it's Aquaman. That's like, that's, that's pretty hard to do. Very big distinction from them not calling it Atlantis, right? Cause I'm not yeah. a big comic book guy, but Namor, Namor's, place in the book in the comics was atlantis yep smart, big time. Smart little little change up there and i'm ex- interested on a little bit of a, a tangential tangential tertiary yeah. i don't know something sure, like that sure. on that front because it seems like they're leaning into the deity thing again as well so if you watched moon Knight, which i know you and i did and we spoke about on this podcast they obviously thor, did a lot of the deity stuff they did it in thor black panther kind of started that with bossed uh in the first film and they're leaning into that with Namor, um, it was just kind of exciting. I'm, I'm interested to see where they continue to move with that. Someone's least. been watching YouTube videos. 
Oh, I'd be watching YouTube videos. I do. <laughs> I don't hide that. I'd be watching uh, new rock stars almost exclusively. I, th I find, can I just say one more thing actually about Marvel in nah. general? Nah. Well, uh, it doesn't matter. You can leave the <laughs> chat right now. Um, there are YouTube pages out there that should not be allowed to exist. And it, I think, I don't want to say the wrong one, but I'm pretty sure I'm right here. It's like called, there's one called Screen Crush. Yeah. And oh, it's just, it's just, it's just clickbait. It's clickbait videos. It is literally just fake videos that are completely fabricated from some person or some yep. company. It'll say final black Panther Wakanda forever trailer right around the time where they release the actual one, or maybe like two days before that's usually how they do it. And then you click on it and it's a bunch of other videos from other trailers that came out already or teasers that came it out drives me nuts. and it's like some weird narration that it's just completely fake. How, you know, like, you know what pisses me off more by YouTube it, and stop that. It's totally screen crush. You're absolutely right. You know what pisses me off more about that? Yeah. I, I I'm a big like top critics guy on rotten tomatoes. They're a top critic on rotten tomatoes and that drives oh. me nuts. They oh. shouldn't have that stamp of approval. Now I don't know if they have any other YouTube comment, uh, content that's good. Like, do they have some sort of talk show that there's two guys talking about movies? That's Maybe I'll never know because I will never click on any of their videos ever again, no matter how beautiful their thumbnails are, because their thumbnail guy deserves a raise. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I get, I get just like, and it has like 5 million views. That's the worst part. I meant 5 million people got got. They get got constantly. I've gotten got before, but I learned very quick. I learned very quick. Oh, it drives me nuts. It really does. You know what? It'll happen again one day because you'll be so excited. You think like it can't be real. I got to check it out. And then you'll <laughs> click it and then you'll, it's absolutely going to happen again. Yeah. Kang, like something with Kang and it's like, uh, you know, leaked video trailer from Kang in Ant-Man Quantumania. I'm like, no, no, it's definitely not real. Let me just click it. Real ah. I got to share. So I, I've been getting into comic books again, which I used to read in college all the time. I read the new Immortal Hulk. I read the new Secret Wars and everything like that. Comic books are cool, man. Pretty cool. How, how yeah, about yeah. nerd culture just becoming cool? Thank Pretty God. Cool. Thank God. Although the new the new Pokemon game is coming out in like next week or a week and a half or something like that, and I'm still like kind of reluctant to tell people that I still play Pokemon. That hasn't really made mainstream yet, but give it like ten years. Yeah, but you know what? I don't think people hate on Pokemon because so many people have a positive. Pokemon uh, Go. People love Pokemon Go. But even still, like people who played Pokemon as a kid have such a positive connotation with it that they're going to be like, damn, you know, I kind of wish I had a, a little Nintendo Switch on my commute to the city. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's even if they don't want to do it, they don't have the balls to do it. They're kind of jealous, I think. You know? Yeah. So I think you have that. I think you have that. All right. Uh, thank you, my friend. Yeah. Go Jets, too. We didn't get to talk about it, but go Jets. Yeah, we ran out of time. What a big, biggest win of their franchise's yeah. history. And we just spent 45 minutes talking about Daniel Jones. <laughs> Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, I really need to get a Jets fan on the podcast. We'll do that soon. Don't worry. We'll do it after they lose next week. <laughs> <laughs> They're on a bye. They're on a bye, too. Maybe we'll talk about them after that. All right. Alec Argento, I'm Pete Kennedy. This has been Subway Sports Talk. Thank you for listening. As always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review the podcast on your podcast apps. That means so much to us. When you do that, it helps the podcast get in front of more people's uh, eyes and their ears and et cetera. So go do that and subscribe to the YouTube page. Click the notification bell when so you know when we drop new videos. Thank you for listening.
Enjoy Black Panther Wakanda forever. Go Giants. Go Knicks. Go New York sports. Cheers.